The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have Welcome to the Anchored City Podcast, where we're connecting with Anchorage's soul through her histories, stories, and people. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. On this episode, we're taking a break from Season 3, where we're discussing the hydra that is homelessness. We'll return to that important conversation next week. We are taking a break because this is our 50th episode, and we wanted to pause and celebrate for a moment. Deep into the first year of the COVID pandemic, during lockdown, we launched this podcast. Don't be impressed. It's not like it was a unique idea. There are somewhere around 850,000 active podcasts in the world, with 48 million episodes available. One source estimated that 17,000 new podcasts per week were launched in 2020 alone. Regardless of the numbers, it's clear that while the world was locked into their homes, a lot of people started a podcast. So honestly, launching this podcast was not unique. Yet when we posted our first episode in August of 2020 and started our first season in October of that year, there were three things, in my mind, that made us unique. First, we're hyper-local. It's not our goal to do a mass-market podcast that interviews the same authors and experts that you can hear on dozens and dozens of other national and international podcasts. We're hyper-focused on the city of Anchorage. Second, our philosophy about being curious and getting to know the people in your neighborhood is inspired by Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. And if that makes you curious, I invite you to check out our very first episode. I'll get to the third unique thing in just a moment. Don't let me forget. I want to pause here and say that we've used this curious, hyper-focused approach of getting to know the people in Anchorage to discuss the issues facing the city in Season 1, And we celebrated the places where things are and are becoming the way they're supposed to be in Season 2. We've also done 11 Between the Seasons episodes covering a wide range of topics. History, storytelling, food, baseball, the pandemic, a mashup of Fur Rondi and Black History Month, and even Flying Reindeer. We've had a total of 52 different guests join us on the podcast. During Season 2, we facilitated a project asking Anchorage residents what the city would be like if it was the way it was supposed to be for all people. And we got over 700 responses. There's a link to those responses in the show notes. In any given year, 20% of the podcasts that launch fail. Many pod fade, which is like the podcasting version of ghosting someone, by their seventh episode. So making it to Season 3 and to Episode 50 is huge. Now, you might be wondering what that third thing is that makes this podcast unique. Remember, you're supposed to remind me about that? Well, we'll get to that very important third thing after this break. 
And I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over For one proverb that is true But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have you Last week we started our podcast by asking you to vote for the Anchorage City Podcast as the best podcast in the Anchorage Press Press Picks for 2022. Thank you to all of you who stopped and took time to vote. Also, thank you to those who rate, review, and subscribe this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We really do appreciate it. Now back to the episode. That I have yet to cross And I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over For one proverb that is true But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have you Alaskans like to joke about the misconceptions people have about our state. We tell stories about people who think we live in igloos or travel exclusively by dog sled. We laugh about those who believe misleading maps that depict our state as an island next to Hawaii out in the Pacific Ocean. One tall tale I've heard repeated a lot of times is that visitors often wonder if we use, quote, American money here, meaning, does Alaska use United States currency? And the answer, if you're wondering, is yes. If you have a dollar or a quarter or any American money nearby, take a look at it. Somewhere on that coin or bill is the phrase, in God we trust. That phrase is on every coin and paper currency in the country, but it hasn't always been that way. Back in 1861, six years before Alaska became part of the United States, a pastor in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, wrote a letter to the Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon P. Chase. The Reverend Mark R. Watkins, from the First Particular Baptist Church in Ridleyville, was concerned about the legacy of the United States should the South win the Civil War. He wrote, Would not the antiquities of succeeding centuries rightly reason from our past that we were a heathen nation? He proposed to solve the problem by inscribing the words God, Liberty, Law on all U.S. currency so future generations would know the faith of the nation. Secretary Chase, the son of an Episcopal bishop, liked the idea and directed the U.S. Mint to create a motto for the money without unnecessary delay. I'm not sure what all the delays were, but it took a bit to get the phrase right. The very first coin to bear the motto, In God We Trust, was a two-cent piece minted in 1864. On March 3 of 1865, Congress passed legislation adding the words, In God We Trust, to gold and silver coins minted in the U.S. President Lincoln signed the bill into law. It was the last act of Congress he signed before his assassination. Reactions to the currency bearing In God We Trust varied. Some thought it was not religious enough and pushed for it to say, In God Alone We Trust, or even God Our Christ. Others objected to the mingling of God and mammon. The New York Times editorial board stated, Let us try to carry our religion, such as it is, in our hearts and not our pockets. 
The American Journal of Numismatics, a journal devoted to the study of things like currency and metals, noted, There's been considerable difficulty in the mint putting on the coins the motto, In God We Trust. The officers are afraid that everyone will read it, In Gold We Trust, which is much nearer the fact. There was quite a bit of controversy with the motto over the years. In 1883, the motto was removed from the nickel, but it was returned in 1938. In 1907, President Theodore Roosevelt, believing it was in bad taste to display the name of God on money, had the phrase removed from the Eagle $10 coin and the Double Eagle $20 coin. Congress was not pleased, and in 1908 they passed an act that stated, The motto, In God We Trust, heretofore inscribed on certain denominations of gold and silver coins of the United States of America, shall hereafter be inscribed upon all such gold and silver coins of said denominations as heretofore. But it wasn't until 1955, in the midst of the Cold War and the most prosperous economic period in the history of the United States, that Congress passed a law requiring that all coins and paper currency have printed on them, In God We Trust. One year later, Congress made the phrase our national motto. I've always found it interesting that the United States prints In God We Trust on our money, since it seems more often the money itself is what we're truly trusting in and worshiping. Remember that third thing that makes this podcast unique? Well, this is where it comes in. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you might have noticed the third unique thing already. At the end of each interview, I ask our guests if they have a self-care, mindfulness, or spiritual practice that keeps them centered in their work. This question might feel a bit out of the blue since it rarely has anything to do with the topic. Yet this question is the thread that weaves through all of the episodes, and it might be the most important question I ask. For the past 30 years, I've worked in the nonprofit sector. That sector, as you might have guessed by who we interview, has a soft spot in my heart. One of the big buzzwords in the nonprofit sector is sustainability. Grant funders and fundraising professionals use the word sustainability a lot. Those training board members and leaders speak of sustainability at length. If you've ever been an administrator, executive director, board member, or even staff with a charity, church, or nonprofit, you know that the word sustainability is nearly impossible to avoid. Over my three decades in the nonprofit world, I've noticed something. We talk about sustainability in some very specific ways. The most common use of the word sustainability is when we're talking about money and budgets. The second most common use, though it's a distant runner-up, is when we're talking about strategic planning and goal setting. I'll be blunt. In a very real way, sustainability has become synonymous with financial security in the not-for-profit world. It's not just nonprofits who have this monetary monovision. The obsession with sustainability in this purely financial sense can be seen in governmental social services, churches, faith-based organizations, businesses, and elsewhere. Remember those officials working at the Mint trying to fit the phrase, In God We Trust, on the coins, being worried that people would read it, In Gold We Trust? In this case, I'm the one worrying. And what I'm worrying about is that our nonprofit organizations, social services, churches, business, and frankly our whole culture, is putting our faith in money and living out what we really believe. In Gold We Trust. Our default discussions about sustainability being primarily about money points to this reality. And the way we as citizens are referred to as consumers underlines that our importance is found in the money that we spend. 
This monetary fixation on sustainability is understandable. For organizations to operate, to do all the good things they do in the world, they need funding. But they also need one other thing. People to do the work. One area where I've not heard the word sustainability used very often is when talking about the health and longevity of staff. I'm talking here specifically about direct service workers, those awesome social change agents that serve people in need, but it applies in many contexts. Why is it that when we consider sustainability, it feels like it's money first and people last? Before the phrase, in God we trust, was made into our country's official motto, we had a different phrase that we lived by. Prior to 1956, the unofficial motto of the nation was e pluribus unum, meaning from many, one. This motto has appeared on currency of all types in the U.S. for a long time. It might even be on the one that you're holding in your hand. E pluribus unum is an individual and communal statement. It's based not on the value of money or gold, but in the riches of our collective humanness. What if sustainability was rooted in our humanness as well? What if the default dialogue around sustainability wasn't money, but rather holistic health, things like self-care, mindfulness, and spirituality? What if the primary asset of any organization was its people? What if their care came first? What if the main deposits we were considering were the deposits into workers' lives? What if instead of boards poring over financial reports and profit and loss statements, they were monitoring the health and wholeness of those on the front lines? What if it's not about the money? It's about the mottos. See, we've been talking about money, but the two mottos that have been printed on our currency hold the real answer to sustainability. In God We Trust speaks to our need for spirituality, and E Pluribus Unum grounds us in our individual and collective humanity. Far too often, we ask direct service workers, like social workers and others in helping professions, to sacrifice, to give it all for the mission of the organization. We see their work as noble, and it is, but it's often hard. Stress, overwork, secondary trauma, and the daily exposure to human suffering can all compile and lead to burnout. The tyranny of the urgent makes pausing to take a deep breath, practice mindfulness, or consider their personal spirituality difficult. But those things can all make them more sustainable in their work. Here's my bold claim. Human sustainability is true sustainability. Sustainability starts by making sure that the people doing the work are sustainable in every area of their lives, body, soul, and spirit. The author Ronald Rollheiser says that what we do with the madness in the world around us is our spirituality. And in that way, we're all spiritual. In my experience, the more people are caring for their soul and their spirit, the more they're in touch with their humanity and the community around them, the more sustainable they are in their work. We need to shift the sustainability conversation away from money and towards the human, the communal, and the spiritual. If we focus solely on making sure that organizations are well-funded, but perpetuate the unhealthy cycle of burnout by those doing the work, then we're not creating sustainability at all. We're only exposing that in gold we trust. But when we choose to believe that we're all parts of the whole, e pluribus unum, from many, one, then we can shift the culture to seeing that real sustainability is found in creating sustainable people. 
The third thing that makes this podcast unique is this question. What's a spiritual self-care or mindfulness practice that keeps you centered in your work? We ask this question because we're committed to human sustainability and see that as the only true path to sustainability. With the crazy long life that I lived already And the scars I earned I still can't seem to find the answers And though the questions are never new But loving you just once was worth it Even if I, I can't The organization that sponsors this podcast, the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative, trains the heads, hearts, and hands of Anchorage leaders to love their city and seek its peace. By peace, we mean a desire for Anchorage to experience shalom, everything the way it's supposed to be for all people. We support leaders working for those changes by supporting their spiritual lives so that they can be more sustainable. We would love to work with you and your organization to foster human sustainability. For more information, please go to our website, anchorageutc.org. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. The Anchorage City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchorage City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hands, and hearts of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at anchorageutc. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lutner. Monica Lutner